0: It's every election ever. And beer. Hey, we're back. How are you? I tell you what, good professor, how are you today?
1: Good on, fella. Eddie
0: Zipper, you're back. Matt Webb? I'm here. He is here, the good lawyer. I don't know if that comic yeah. relief <laughs> is all I do. And thanks for asking. I'm fine, too. Yeah, we don't care. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> so it's the election of 1856?
1: Yes.
2: Ooh. And Eddie just said it's a, it's a marathon
0: election for,
2: well, such I mean, a, for such a bad president.
0: You know, I was actually excited about this because we are experiencing some very similar phenomena in today's modern politics. The, or a major realignment. The realignments. A major realignment. That's what I
2: hear.
1: This is one of the most major realignment elections in all of American history.
2: Something to look forward to. No pressure, right? Just like what Scott's drinking. I mean, people I wish people could guess what Scott what beer Scott is having tonight. I'm gonna give you one guess, Eddie, what, what beer Scott's having tonight.
1: Is it brewed in Saint Louis?
2: No. No
0: Ah, uh, well. It probably is. I don't know. Or, or Milwaukee. Yeah. <laughs> one of the two. It's Miller Light.
2: <laughs> <Wow>. Come on. <laughs> wow. How you've not picked up a sponsorship? <laughs> I, I have not figured out. I'm going hardcore for this, man. You need one of those like NASCAR suits with the, <laughs> with Miller Lite on your gut. <laughs>
0: Milwaukee, Wisconsin. You having one of your Just homemade beers, Eddie?
1: I do not have a homemade beer this time. I have an Abita lounging iguanas hazy IPA.
2: Abita always has like the best names for their beers.
1: This beer is so good. This is based on a. Pina colada, so it has coconut and pineapple flavor to it. What in the world? Wh- it's delicious. Matt, is that you? <laughs> it's delicious if you like pina coladas.
0: I got it, Matt. Do you like pina coladas? <laughs> Hold on. That's, that's. Do you like taking walks in the rain or what? That's from, that's
2: from Dirty Work, right? With
0: if you like your collider.
2: <laughs> play an ass-kicking song.
0: And getting in the
2: rain. <laughs> if you're not
0: into yoga.
2: Awesome movie scene.
0: If you have half a brain.
2: If you guys don't know what we're talking about, go if watch it. If you that. like
0: making love me at night.
2: Thanks, Eddie. I appreciate this. <laughs> Really, in the
0: dunes of the Cape.
2: <laughs> We're not getting a word in. Uh, so I was in Nashville last week. I stopped by Southern Grist Brewing Company. Try that again. Southern Grist Brewing Company. There you go. This one is called Boil the Ocean. It's not seafood flavored, though, which is <laughs> starting to scared me it. at first. Holy smokes. How could you miss with that one? It's because of the sea salt. It's sour ale with tangerine and sea salt. That's my kind of beer, too. Okay. Eddie and I. I got Eddie's back tonight.
1: He's moved on. He's moved on from from ciders to sours. Shut up,
2: Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get into this election because it's so important. Eddie, take it away.
1: The election of 1856 is a great test for measuring which pundits on your 24-hour news channel are worth their salt and which ones are full of crap. Okay. Because – during the twenty sixteen election, they will bring on all these experts and the and they would say, Is this the most vitriolic election in American history? And all the experts would say, Yes, I've there's never been one like this before. It's the most baddest election there's ever been in all of the history of America. But that is not true. The worst, most vitriolic most violent election in American history is this one. It is the election of 1856. There is no argument to be made that anything in the 21st or 20th century matches this election.
0: Well, the first thing I see when I do research on this on this election is that it was a three-way election, which backs up and reinforces my theory that nothing ever good comes from a three-way <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a hell of an idea in the moment and then it just goes all to crap. <laughs> Especially if you bring it up. Don't do that, Scott.
2: <laughs> no matter what runs through your head in the moment. Like a, kill it. So, kill it so was fire. thinking, honey. <laughs> yeah. Anything that starts out with that, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, just drop it. Don't even don't even go past that.
1: <laughs> all right, so the election of 1856 is a realignment election. Like I said, these are the big ones. Yep. Throughout American history, the political parties have worked very hard to get northerners and southerners on board with their party. That's been what we've seen from the very beginning. If you uh if your presidential candidate is from Virginia, you pick a vice presidential candidate from Massachusetts because you always want to keep the Southerners happy and you always want to keep the Northerners happy. That's how it's been from day one. Yes, geographic. So we have parties that are created for that. There are Northern Whigs and there are Southern Whigs. There are Northern Democrats and there are Southern Democrats. And, in fact, American history up until this point in the election of 1856 is nothing but a long string of compromises between the North and the South in order to keep the union together, specifically of course, those are compromises on the issue of slavery. How far back do we have to go to find the c- first compromise on slavery to keep all the states together
0: God it's got to be on the f- the first
2: two right. Uh, that- I mean, honestly, it was when we were putting the union together
1: yeah, you have to go all the way back to seventeen seventy six That's where we get the first compromise to keep everybody there's not even in america yet wow there's not even uh independence hasn't been declared yet. so what happens? The Congressional Congress puts together a committee on independency to draft. A Declaration of Independency. And they give the job to Thomas Jefferson. So what does Jefferson do? He goes, he writes the original draft of the Declaration of Independence. And in the original draft, when he said all men were created equal and that everyone was entitled to the natural rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, he actually meant Everyone, Which is why he included in his list of abuses the king of Great Britain had committed against the colonists, he included slavery mm-hmm. as one of those abuses. He has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty in the persons of a distant people who never offended him. Captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere, or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. This piratical warfare, the opprobrium of infidel powers, is the warfare of the Christian King of Great Britain. Determined to keep open a market where men should be bought and sold, he has prostituted his negative for suppressing every legislative attempt to prohibit or to restrain. This execrable commerce. There's a lot in there about that.
0: I'm going to guess he didn't get a uh, a holiday card from the King of Britain after this.
1: I mean, that is true of the Declaration of Independence, but the King of Britain never saw this version of the Declaration of Independence because Congress would not pass this. They're
2: like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. Was it, was Wait a minute. it
0: just too, too much, too extreme? Or the wording was
2: too too bad? I mean, You're talking about slavery, right? You mean the slaves like we have. You're talking about that, right? Like the slaves that yeah, we that's have what on, he our, was. on our plantations. You're talking about that. We're not putting that in there.
1: It was a total denunciation of the institution of slavery.
2: And of himself, honestly, right? I mean,
0: he. Well, he I mean, well, it's, it's, it I mean, is he's kind of part funny, you know. though. It, it's, it's kind of funny because he, too, was a massive slave owner. That's what I'm saying. And. Yeah. He's, he's almost drawing this up in as if he's detaching himself from the reality that he's a part of the big problem here.
1: He's blaming the institution, and he knows that it's wrong, as they all do, you know, but that's how institutional evils work. Yes. There are people who are a part of them and know that they're evil— but it's just the way of life that they've come into, and they make themselves okay with it. but I guess Jefferson figures uh this is a philosophical document about a freedom. He says, "I believe that everybody has a natural right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and he is unwilling to do the easy thing." which is to be hypocritical and be like, well, except for these people.
0: Let me ask you a question. Obviously, anyone that gets this high or this advanced in a political career has a bit of an ego. Agreed? How much of this by Jefferson is a revisionist's history of how he would like to pin his own remembrance in the history books?
1: It's possible. You know, it's hard to say. I don't. I can't say what was going on in Jefferson's mind about that, but he is, it hasn't been a long career at this point in 1776. He's very young, younger than all of us are now. Well,
0: that makes me feel great. I appreciate that, Eddie.
1: <laughs> Why well, I said all of us.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jefferson was writing the Declaration of Independence. What were you doing? <laughs>
0: What's going to end up being the most important document in the history, really the history of the world, if you fast forward 250 years later? I've written some articles. (laughs) (laughs) I read a lot of papers, wrote a lot of papers for friends in college. come on. Where were we now?
2: (laughs) We're talking about the first draft of the Declaration.
1: The problem was if you wanted the southern colonies to get on board the independence train, you had to get rid of that part of the Declaration of Independence. And that's why it doesn't appear in the draft that was actually approved by the Continental Congress, and it doesn't appear in the Declaration of Independence as we know it today. That was the first compromise, and it's going to be all compromising after that. So that's before America even declares independence. Already, they're having to compromise on this issue of slavery to keep the South involved. Next is the Constitution. They want the South to be a part of a union of the states. The South doesn't want to be a part of it because they're worried that it will get rid of slavery. So we come up with the three-fifths compromise, and the South gets on board. You know what's
0: crazy to me, Eddie, is the fact that they knew – of the delicate nature of the issue of slavery in 1776, but it took from 1776 to 1859, 18, 1860, to actually do anything about it. And it took a war, it took the bloodiest war in our history to, to really do anything about it. I mean, it's, to me, that's the, it's, it's the it is the quintessential ex- example of why you shouldn't kick the can on an important issue as long as they did, because it, it wiped out, you know, a generation of brothers.
1: I spent a lot of time thinking about about what could have been done. How can you create the United States and not kick the can down the road on this issue? They were just stuck. They wanted the South on board, and they just didn't see any other way to do it but to continually compromise on this issue over and over. So – The three-fifths compromise in the Constitution, that's another compromise. But in exchange, they have to get rid of the slave trade. There's a clause in the Constitution that says they have to get uh, rid of the slave trade entirely by a certain year. The people in the North who continue to turn a blind eye to slavery do that largely because they believe that slavery will disappear, that it will go away on its own. But that just continues not to happen in the South. And maybe, that... maybe a
0: bit naive. Yeah, I say that took a cheek. I mean, to me, it was they, they were. It almost seems like there was maybe a case to be made that at this point in, in 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 the history of America, that it really was a divided nation. You know, there was two dramatically different ideologies of how a nation should be ran, how how the populace should live. And, you know, it was just out of sight, out of mind for these Northerners.
1: It was wildly naive. I mean, if it hadn't been, then what they thought was going to happen would have happened. You know, there are things you can compromise on. An institutional evil like slavery, you just got, you just have to go all in. And you have to say, you know what, We're, we're getting rid of it. We're getting rid of it. We don't care what you say. But it was so hard because they gave the South so much political power with that three-fifths compromise that they constantly couldn't do the things that needed to be done in order to get rid of it from the federal government.
0: Yeah,
2: I may be totally misremembering here, but it seems like the reason they were so willing to enter into these kind of compromises in the face of something like you said was an institutional evil is that – they needed the south on board the south had way more dealings i guess business dealings and otherwise with you know with with britain and everything there, there was really no reason for the for the south to like demand that they be separate from great britain am i am i remembering that right i mean it, they kind of had to pull them along because it was the it was the north kind of leading, leading the charge with the the uprising over the taxes and that sort of thing
1: the south cared more about slavery than they did about independence. If it meant losing slavery, they would prefer to stay with Great Britain.
2: Yeah, and you had way more... They needed those southern states not only to kind of stand up and say, hey, we're a united front for independence, but at that point also to keep the whole union together. I mean, they had to essentially... We would be dealing with what we're about to deal with now in history in, in 1856. We would have been dealing with that back in, in when the Constitution was written if they had not made these sort of compromises. In hindsight, yeah, probably not. And you've got to stand up and draw a line and say this is an evil and we can't agree to it. But at that point, they were so concerned with just trying to keep a union together, a new union, that it seems like they were willing to do stuff like this. And, and like you all said, hope it kind of went away on its own.
1: Like I said, compromise after compromise. There are yeah. so many. We had the Missouri Compromise. Y'all remember that one? That was during the Monroe yeah. presidency. Yeah, um, All land above the 36th parallel is going to be free. You can have slavery below the 36th parallel. We're going to bring in Missouri into the Union as a slave state. We're going to bring Maine into the Union as a free state. And then everybody goes, okay, we solved the slavery issue. It's not allowed above the 36th parallel. We did it. (laughs) Then things go okay for a while, and then we get the Compromise of 1850. Yeah. Do you all remember that one?
2: Yes. Yeah, it's because we keep buying more land, right, and acquiring more land.
1: Yeah, Polk brought in all the new land. California came in as a free state. The slave trade was prohibited in D.C. Yep. All those things. The fugitive slave law was an important one. We're going to talk about that next episode.
2: Yeah. We've touched a little bit on that already, but yeah.
1: The Missouri Compromise, they said in the in the 1850 Compromise, they said the Missouri Compromise only applies to the Louisiana Territory. So in all the new territory that Polk took, you can now have slavery above the 36th parallel in those territories because – Because the Missouri Compromise only applies to the Louisiana Purchase. Ha-ha. So now, in 1854, under President Pierce, you get the Kansas-Nebraska Act. The Kansas-Nebraska Act is probably the worst piece of legislation ever passed in terms of the aftermath, like the consequences of it. The Kansas-Nebraska Act is the most direct cause of the Civil War. It essentially repealed the Missouri Compromise and applied popular sovereignty to the states in Kansas and in the Kansas and Nebraska territories. So the people would get to decide if they had slavery or not. They would get to vote on it And if they voted for slavery, they would have slavery. If they voted against slavery, then they wouldn't have slavery. But there would be nothing to do with the 36th parallel, even though this is area from the Louisiana Purchase, where the 36th parallel still would have applied. That's gone now. We're going to use popular sovereignty to decide instead. We're going to let the people decide.
2: So they just flood the hell out of those territories then.
1: Yes, that is precisely what happened. People come pouring in and not moderate people like the most virulent uh, pro-slavery people and the most radical abolitionists all start flooding into Kansas because they're going to make sure that their side wins Kansas when Kansas becomes a state. So, all the really passionate people start settling there to drive up the numbers for their side, like Matt said. So, abolitionists and pro slavery folks, they're just coming into Kansas by the truckload. I mean, there's just tons of them. And of course, inevitably, violence starts to break out all over Kansas. Like the whole state becomes the alt right versus Antifa. Circa 1854. Yeah, this is
2: like the Proud Boys yeah. and, and Antifa in Portland, essentially.
1: Yeah, it's that same thing. That, th- that's what all of Kansas is now because that's who's flooding in. The, yeah. most, um, the most staunch people on each side. This act, the Kansas-Nebraska Act, is so despised among northerners It's liked among Southerners. It's despised among Northerners. It causes a total realignment of all the political parties from the parties that we know, the Whigs and the Democrats, to more sectional parties. And Northern Whigs join with Northern Democrats and the Free Soil Party and a lot of the know-nothings. And a brand-new political party is born, the Republican Party.
0: And so it begins.
1: And it begins, yes. (laughs) The road to Trump begins here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Actually, no, the the road to Trump began with the the Democratic Party. They would be so
1: proud. (laughs) (laughs) So the Republican Party, Uh, it's a coalition of people who are pissed off about the kansas nebraska act it's the it's the anti Nebraska party is exactly what it is
2: I mean they were literally founded as a, a party purely opposed to slavery
1: yes that i mean that that's what the whole coalition is it's yep. people against slavery, the senator who's responsible for putting the popular sovereignty thing into the Kansas-Nebraska Act is a guy named, and you've heard of him before, Stephen Douglas.
2: Ah, yes.
1: Yeah, what is he famous for?
2: The Lincoln-Douglas debates.
1: That's right. He's famous for being the guy who took the stupid opinion and (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) argued with Abraham Lincoln, the greatest American of all time.
2: Don't debate Abe.
1: That's right. People didn't know that back then because back then he was just a dude. But yeah. If you were alive now, you would know that. You would you would not argue with him. He would get away with all kinds of things. Now the nascent, brand new Republican Party is eager to go national, and the best way to do that is to take the House of Representatives. Like, there are all these parties in the House of Representatives. Nobody has a clear majority, so what do we do? Let's take the speakership. There will be a national party. will control the House of Representatives. But it was no easy task. There was a lot of coalition building. They had to get the know-nothings and the conscience Whigs on board with them. The Speaker election took a long time. You know, I thought the last Speaker battle where Nancy Pelosi became Speaker again when the Democrats won back the House, I wasn't sure if she was going to win that. On day one or not, because there were a lot of Democrats who promised if they were elected, they wouldn't vote for Nancy Pelosi to be speaker. She had to make a lot of deals with a lot of groups in, or some deals she made with individual people in order to get enough votes to become speaker. But I thought maybe it would take a day or two days, which would have been crazy. This speaker election took two months.
0: <laughs> Whoa
1: and 133 ballots.
0: Holy smokes. At, at some point I would just be say all right, no one no one likes me enough. I'm out. Yeah. You got to really want it.
1: The, the contest started out with 30 people vying for the speakership. Wow. Yeah, one one person said, and I'm going to sort of paraphrase what they said cuz I don't have the quote in front of me. But one of the representatives said, "Everyone is so eager to serve their country." that it's going to take a while to winnow down all these patriots. It's like heavily laced in sarcasm. Sarcasm.
2: Bunch of people doing it for their country. Yeah, I just cracked open another beer. (laughs) Mind your business.
1: So it's nuts. Two months, 133 ballots. It's the longest speaker election of all time. I can't imagine something that comes close to this. It's just nuts.
2: So was this this for, for Speaker in 56 or for Speaker in 54?
1: the new congress came in in 55 okay i think they came in in december back then because they didn't have anything to do like they didn't have big long sessions like we have now so i think they didn't show up till december and then the actual speaker's election lasted into 1856 i think
2: gotcha and who was elected i i guess you're probably going to get there
1: nathaniel banks Republican. Took a lot of no nothing votes to make that happen. You remember the no nothings, yeah, the American yeah. party? The American
2: Party, the No Nothings and the No Somethings.
1: Yeah, the, some of them are no somethings, but most of them are no nothings. Yeah, I agree with um, that. Um <laughs> The No Nothing Party is all about being nativist and nobody drinking alcohol.
2: That sounds like a shitty party to yeah, be in. So it's like, We throw the great yeah.
1: party
0: great parties.
1: <laughs> all right, so Nathaniel Banks, Speaker of the House, took a lot of know-nothings to get him in there. I was saying the know-nothings are nativist and they're a big temperance movement. Oh, and wildly anti-Catholic. They hate Catholics. All of these things kind of go together because people come from Europe at this time. That's where most of the immigration is from, all these countries in Europe, and then they come here— and they bring us things that I love, which are Catholicism and beer. <laughs> it's like, two of my favorite things on Earth. So, you see how they all go together. If you stop immigration, then you stop the beer and the Catholicism from coming over. Right. But, for some reason, they're also anti-slavery.
2: Doesn't mesh.
1: I don't know why they're anti-slavery. They just are, mostly. It could be, be- just because... The party has more of a foothold in the North than in the South. Yeah, they're
2: probably anti-South.
1: Yeah, so yeah, they, they probably hate Southerners. You're probably right. Okay, we have this insane speaker election. You can imagine what it's like when there's a speaker election this long and the parties are fighting with each other and the media's covering it and everybody in Kansas is killing everybody else in Kansas. It's called Bleeding Kansas. And Bleeding Kansas... People mistakenly sometimes think that that's one event that happened. It's actually like seven years long. It's just like this long seven-year war in Kansas that precedes the Civil War.
0: Okay, this is interesting because I've never heard of it. This is really interesting.
1: Bleeding Kansas?
0: Yeah, never heard of it.
1: Oh, wow. It starts about 1854. It lasts until the beginning of the Civil War. Sort of the opening act for the Civil War, I guess. But so, a Republican, Charles Sumner, he's a senator. He gets up in the Senate, and he delivers this absolutely scathing three-hour speech against the evils of slavery. And he's attacking people. He's got all these snarky literary references in there. You know, he blasts all the pro-slavery people. It's really... At the time, it was probably the most scathing speech ever given on the Senate floor. And one of the people that he attacked in the speech happens to be related to a member of the House of Representatives, a representative named Preston Brooks. So Preston Brooks goes from the House side of the Capitol building to the Senate side of the Capitol building, and he starts stalking Charles Sumner. He decides that he is going to harm Charles Sumner. But he decides he's not going to shoot him because he's not worthy of being shot. So he gets a cane, and he decides that he is going to beat the hell out of Charles Sumner with a cane. After two days of stalking him, that is precisely what he does. He goes into Charles Sumner's office, and he beats him on the head with the cane about 30 times almost killed him
0: if he hadn't got fatigued he would have beat, beat him to death
1: well eventually other people came to his rescue yeah where
0: is
2: this guy's staff is what i want to know
1: all staff allowance back then yeah clearly but let us remember that you know this guy is railing against the evils of slavery i think we would all pretty much muster up a lot of snark for that cause but Here's what's interesting about it. I mean, you know you're in serious trouble as a country when members of one House of Congress are determined to kill members of the other House over things that they said. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, right. Brooks, Representative Brooks, was arrested and convicted, but he didn't get a prison sentence. He just got fined like $300. And a resolution was put forth to expel him from... The House of Representatives, but it failed oh. to get enough votes. Can you imagine, like, I mean, just an absolute flogging goes down and the person doesn't even get expelled from Congress.
2: Now, who was voting on this? So the House was voting on this, right, to whether or not to expel them?
1: Yeah, to expel a member of the House or Senate, if they're... A senator, it takes two-thirds of the Senate to expel them. If they're a representative, it takes two-thirds of the House of Representatives to expel them.
2: Yeah, and think about how many ballots you had just to elect a speaker. You know you had no real coalitions in in the House. You definitely didn't have two-thirds to go against one party of either side, probably.
1: I mean, you would presume— That everybody could get behind expelling somebody who stalked a senator for two days and then beat the hell out of him. Yeah. But he actually became a hero in the South.
2: Yeah, because there's, I mean, those people are pissed that they're talking about how bad slave owners are, you know?
1: Okay, let me think of somebody in Congress I don't like, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. If my favorite senator went over to the House and beat up Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez— I would want them expelled from the Senate.
0: Yes,
2: and arrested and everything else, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, even if it was somebody I really liked, it's not okay. <laughs> you know, it's it's not okay. <laughs> I, want, I want them to win with their words. Yeah. After the attack on Sumner, John Brown— You have to understand, there's basically a war going on in Kansas right now. So this uh, radical abolitionist named John Brown and his crew— Ended up murdering five pro-slavery settlers in Kansas with swords. With
0: swords.
1: Yeah, with swords. Gruesome.
2: You can just see that we're past the tipping point of being able to come back from all these compromises that we've made to kind of keep slavery intact. Right? There's no. There's no compromise at this point, and things are actually going to come to a head. There's no avoiding it anymore.
1: Yeah, James Buchanan has a plan
2: (laughs) but it's not going to
1: be a very good one all right so we've got three parties that are going to run in the presidential election we got the republican party we have the democratic party we have the american party aka the know nothings the know nothings actually at their convention nominate millard fillmore he's back yes he's back he's a know nothing now the democratic convention becomes crazy. It takes several days. Uh, The Democratic Party has a choice between incumbent Franklin Pierce and a doe face named James Buchanan. Uh, Stephen Douglas is also one of the top choices. Pierce is in bad shape politically, even though he would be the incumbent president. He's in bad shape politically because he's the one who signed the Kansas-Nebraska Act and it basically sat on the sidelines while Kansas became a war zone. So everybody is pissed off at him in the whole country.
2: Plus he has a drinking problem.
1: Oh yeah, he has a severe, severe drinking problem. Uh, so Pierce does not get renominated. It took 17 ballots, but in the end, Tencent Jimmy wins the nomination. So uh, then the Republicans have theirs. It takes a lot of ballots too. But they end up with John Fremont, famous explorer. It's weird that we haven't even talked about the candidates yet.
2: And John Fremont has to be a trivia question because I I think most people are not going to be able to say that was the first presidential candidate for the Republican Party.
1: He's a real interesting guy, too. You know what he was before he was a politician?
0: Explorer. Yes.
1: Yes. How'd you wow, know that? Someone know. is Googling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Kiss my. Yes, you're right.
2: <laughs> am I going to be the one that has to say this or not? <laughs> Come on now. Come on. Eddie already said it. <laughs> you already said it. Oh, did about I? two minutes. Yes, he did. No, he no, didn't. I Check am smart. I, I am smart. About. I am smart. Okay. I'm leaving in the part where Eddie said it twice.
1: <laughs> they call him the Pathfinder. Uh, As a explorer, he he created all these uh, new paths to all these new territories. As a politician, he blazed the trail for Abraham Lincoln to come in in 1860 and win as the Republican candidate.
2: By the way, he also looks like the Geico caveman.
1: (laughs) He really does. (laughs) Go look it up. He does. I'm sure we'll we'll see a uh, uh, a meme to that effect on our Twitter page.
2: We're working on it as a as we speak right now.
1: Nice. All right. So let's see here. Talked about that. Talked about that. Now we got candidates. John Fremont. Oh yeah, yeah. The the uh, Republican Party motto: Free soil, free speech, free men. And Fremont. It looks like Buchanan got a lot of the states, though. Yeah, Buchanan won 174 electoral votes. Fremont got 114. Uh, Fillmore got eight. Buchanan did good, but if you add up the American Party with the Republican Party, you discover that um, popular votes, the Republicans and Americans added together, got more than the Democrat Buchanan did.
2: So we had to have a lot of close races in, in some of those states like Pennsylvania where Buchanan ended up winning.
1: It uh, could have gone the other way. It could have gone the other way if the American Party and Republican Party had come together.
2: And some of them actually probably did, I think you said, right? So some of the, some of the know-nothings in the American Party actually went with the Republican Party.
1: Yeah, some of the so, know nothing. Some of the Democrats, yeah, some of the Whigs.
2: So a few of them stayed, and that actually cost the Republicans an election.
1: Yes, there's always going to be the, those people. Never Fremonters. I mentioned that Buchanan is a dough face. A
2: dough face.
1: A dough face. Yeah, like you know, you mash dough.
2: Yeah, he's got the he's got this face. You just want to punch and. Right in the face, I, like the <laughs> Catalina, I see it every day, Catalina wine mixer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so Doughface, they called him Doughface. That's uh, what you call somebody who is a northerner, but they pander to the to the southerners. So they say, "Oh, oh, all those mean people want to get rid of your slavery. Don't worry, we'll." I don't actually care about slavery myself because I'm a northerner, but we won't let anybody take your precious slavery. Don't you worry. We're going to fix up a compromise that's going to be just right for you, and we're going to make sure nobody touches your slavery. <laughs> Doe face.
0: It. I love how in the election of 1856, northerners take on the persona of Thurston Howe III. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Bobby, yes. Uh, slavery. my god it's terrible terrible I myself don't see a problem with it
1: I hit my head on the microphone laughing (laughs) so uh, James Buchanan's a doe face he's gonna try to pander to the south he's gonna try to he thinks he's gonna come up with a way to fix everything he's actually going to Bring it all down.
2: You're going to ruin everything.
1: He is going to ruin the Catalina wine mixer. You
2: blew it. (laughs) How does it feel to completely destroy a country
0: as president?
1: Only James Buchanan would know. Yeah. How was your beer?
0: My beer was good. My my Miller Lite, fantastic. One of the top five I've ever had. Would you quit? Be Okay, if I can take all this shit
2: for drinking cider, quit drinking the damn Miller Lights. I I even offered to bring you a beer.
1: (laughs) Mine was amazing if, if you like pina colada.
0: And getting caught in the rain.
1: If you're not into yoga.
0: Listen, I'm... And you have half a
2: brain. I'm I'm totally close. We're not using our theme music. We're going to use that song to close out the.
1: If you like making love at
0: midnight.
2: I'm going to try my best to get like 20 good minutes out of this. Yeah.
0: By the way. Godspeed, my friend. <laughs> <Yeah>. Godspeed.
1: <laughs> All right. So next time we'll be back and the election will have a happier ending. But then then it will get really unhappy for a while.
0: No kidding tell everybody where they can get us on social media it is at so if you're on social
2: media uh, so you're most everybody except Scott you can find us on Facebook at election and beer you can find us on Twitter at election and beer very easy also subscribe to this podcast tell your friends about this podcast we need more listeners please Um, and come back next week
1: well done fellas we'll see you in 1860
0: talk to everybody soon
1: if you like we're